Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I just thank you for uh, who you are. I thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. This morning, Lord, as we, as we dive into your word, I pray that you will um, show us something about you, Lord. Show us what it means uh, to be a disciple of you and show us how uh, you want us to live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we are uh, back into our sermon series this morning. Um, this is Jesus' Mission Continues. Uh, we're studying the book of Acts to see uh, disciple making in the early church. And we want to know what lessons we can learn from the early church to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, now, since we took some time off last week from our series, um, I want to give a little review. Um, in the month of October, pretty much the whole month of October, we were um, studying the events around uh, Saul's salvation and those immediate results following after that. Before that, in the month of September, we looked mostly at the church's activity in Samaria. Um, and today, we're going to get back to Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter. And to get to Peter, we have to go, well, the last time we saw Peter was all the way back um, in the beginning of August for us. And this was um, in the middle of chapter 5. It was the last time we saw his name. And he was on trial in front of the Sanhedrin for preaching the gospel. Um, so now... He's left the city of Jerusalem and is visiting believers um, in and around the area of Judea. Um, so when we look at this passage, um, we're in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43, and I'm calling this compare and contrast. Um, I'm calling it this because, well, it's are the sermon delivery is going to be a little bit different this week. Usually, we kind of study through and go verse by verse and pull out different um, main ideas, main topics, and, and learning points for us. Um, but as I was going through and studying this, God kind of took me in a different direction. Um, we have two stories here, and we're going to compare and contrast the stories. And in doing so, some points come out for us to see. Uh, so this passage shows us three truths about the gospel. First is that the gospel is, or grace is not merit-based, and the gospel is not just for salvation, and that personal witness is powerful. So let's go ahead right into the text. I'm going to start reading in verse 32, and I'm going to read all the way through uh, 43. It says, uh, in 32, it says, As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came, yeah, sorry, uh, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Enos, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Enos, Jesus has healed you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So that's our first story that we're looking at. The second story is about Tabitha, and this starts in verse 36. It says, In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, Don't delay in coming to us. Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him um, to the room upstairs. And all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. So as we look through this, these two stories, a couple of uh, things point out that we can uh, compare, the similarities in, this, in these stories. So our first comparison is that 
both of these cities, both Lydda and Joppa, while in what would have been known as Old Testament Israel, they're both very Roman or very Hellenistic cities. So neither city could be described as very Jewish, even though Peter was going around and visiting um, the Christian believers there, and a lot of times they would start with the Jewish communities and the Christian believers in the Jewish communities. Um, the cities themselves were not Jewish, so, uh, so to say. So these cities, uh, Lydda and Joppa, were about 10 miles apart. Joppa was on the coast, and Lydda was about 10 miles inland. They were both, um, especially um, Joppa, it was a very major Roman port city. Um, so these are major, or these are very Roman cities. And so this leads us to another comparison, another similarity. We look at their names. Um, Enos is a Greek name, and Tabitha, while Tabitha is a um, Hebrew name, she also had a Greek name, and that was Dorcas. Uh, this leads us, or this points back to um, Acts 1.8. And remember, I said that Acts 1.8 can kind of be used as an outline for the book of Acts. So Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As I said, this can kind of be used as an outline for the book of Acts. Um, the, the, the beginning, chapter 2 to 8.3, is the church's ministry in Jerusalem. And then um, 8 all the way through chapter 12 is Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth is chapter 13 to the end. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, well, you just said that these are Roman cities, and but they're also kind of in where Old Testament Israel would have been. So this is, we're, we're getting into a, a part of Acts that's kind of a transition phase. Yes, these cities are where Old Testament Israel, or they would have been included in Old Testament Israel, but we look, it doesn't really fall into Judea, but it also doesn't really fall into the ends of the earth either. And so this is a transition time. And uh, Luke, the author, is using these next uh, couple chapters to transition from focusing on um, what would have been Old Testament Israel, very Jewish areas, and transitioning to the ends of the earth and going out into the rest of the Roman Empire. Um, <clears throat> we, will, we will also see the church's ministry focusing more on Gentiles, um, and it's laying the groundwork as the church starts to move outward, or the ministry of the church starts to move out, outward. Another similarity between these two stories is that Jesus, through Peter, healed both of these people. We recognize that it was not the power of Peter who healed them, but it, that it was the power of Jesus that healed them, even though he was working through Peter. And finally, another similarity, the last similarity that I see in these two passages, is that both of the healings led to many salvations. It said that um, when people saw that Enos was healed, that many came to believe. It said that when Dorcas was brought back to life, that many came to believe. All right, so now let's start looking at the contrasts. How are these two passages different? Well, first, so we're looking at Enos and Tabitha. How are these two passages different? Well, first we see that Enos was a burden and Tabitha was a blessing. These two people... So Enos was bedridden for eight years. It says that he, he was bedridden for eight years. When we look at the society and the culture in those days, for somebody to be bedridden meant that they had no way to provide for the family. They had they, no, no way that they could be a financial uh, help. They would have been a financial strain on the family. And then if all the family had died, then they would have been a financial strain on other people in the society. And... Um, I remember a couple weeks ago in Sunday school, we were talking about sometimes having to care for your family members. It's, it's tough. 
it's hard as we we're we're trying to help them we're trying to care for them but at the same time you know we're working our jobs and we're taking care of our own things so caring for a family member it's it's important for us and it's an act of love but a lot of times it can be a burden and we look at Enos here and he is he would have been a burden on those around him but Tabitha on the other hand she is described as doing good works and acts of charity she made robes and clothes for the widows so when she passed we see all these widows they're up there mourning for Tabitha she was a blessing in the community widows would not have had any way for themselves to to uh, have any income and they would have been it would have been very hard for them financially and socially and Tabitha is here as a blessing to them she was serving them um, and so they were mourning her another comparison a, a con I'm sorry another contrast so a difference in these two stories is that Enos he was paralyzed but Tabitha was dead now this seems like a very obvious difference and it is a very obvious difference see Enos had been paralyzed for eight years so this is a a long-term problem whereas Tabitha was only dead for a little while it doesn't tell us exactly how long she had been dead but looking at uh, cultural norms of the day for her to still be not buried or not in a tomb I'm gonna guess and I don't know this for sure but I'm gonna guess it was less than three days that she had been dead and for the two cities to be only 10 miles apart uh, riding on a camel or horse you can do that that trip round trip in a day easy and so when Tabitha died those disciples could have said hey Peter is in uh, uh, in sorry in Lydda so let's go down to Lydda and get Peter and bring him back to, jo to Joppa they could have done that trip in one day um, so I'm guessing here I don't know for sure but I'm guessing that she was dead for less than three days so when we look at all these comparisons and contrasts what is all what does it all mean for us what does it mean when we're studying scripture what does it tell us about God's character when we look at this well the first thing that we see the, the first point that, that that comes out from that and what does this all mean is that grace is not merit-based grace is not something that we can earn notice that both of these people both Enos and Tabitha they were both healed it didn't matter if they were a blessing like Tabitha or if they were a burden like Enos they were both healed of whatever uh, ailed them well I don't know if really death can be called an ailment but Tabitha was brought back to life and Enos was healed so we see that grace is not merit-based some people may say well Tabitha deserved it more well yes she did she, she was a blessing to the, her community but grace cannot be earned and even from our perspective it seems that Tabitha may have deserved this healing more than Enos the fact that they were both healed is very informative and so when we think about God's gracious gift of salvation that being through grace it cannot be earned we try to form these these false comparisons between good people and bad people and in our mind when you know somebody dies we say well they were a good person so you know they're not going to hell God wouldn't send a good person to hell well when we look at Scripture in Romans 3 23 we see that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God so in our minds when we look at somebody we say well they're they're a good person well they're a sinner too we're all sinners and without the grace of Jesus without the, his atoning sacrifice we talked about atonement in Sunday school this morning and without his atoning sacrifice all of us would be going to hell because all of us deserve that but through his gracious gift we can have eternal life 
See, none of us deserve salvation, but God, through his grace, motivated by his love for us, sent his son to die for our sins, to take the punishment for our sins, so that everyone who believes in him can have eternal life. Another big point that we can pull out of this, another, you know, what does all this mean, the comparisons and contrasts, is, is that Jesus was the answer for both. Even though they needed different levels of healing, Jesus was the answer for both. Enos was paralyzed, and Tabitha was dead. But they both needed Jesus. When we look at our disciple-making strategy and the, the stages of spiritual life, we look at the first level there is lost. And the Bible equates lostness with being spiritually dead. When we look at Tabitha, she was physically dead. And it was Jesus that brought her back to life. When we look at somebody who is spiritually dead, it is only through Jesus that they can be brought to spiritual life. It is only through the gospel that they come into life. But then we look at Enos, and he was paralyzed. But it was Jesus that healed him. And we see, when we look at and we apply this to our, um, our stages of spiritual life, our spiritual maturity, we can relate this to Enos in that he was healed through the gospel. As we are becoming more mature Christians, that only happens through surrendering to the gospel. So as I said earlier, one of the main points of this whole sermon is that the gospel is not just for salvation. It is for spiritual maturity as well. It is through surrender to the gospel of Jesus that we are brought from spiritual death to life, but it is also through continual surrender to the gospel that we are sanctified and made spiritually, spiritually pure. We talked about that again this morning in Sunday school. Um, in First John, when he was uh, talking to the believers there, and he was saying, I'm writing this letter to you in hopes that you will not sin anymore. So we know that through surrender to the gospel that we can become more sinless. Will we ever be perfectly sinless? No, we won't. Because our problem as people, as humans, our problem is not that we sin. Our problem is that we are sinful. And we need the gospel to bring us out of that. We need the gospel to, to break us from our slavery to sin. And as we surrender more and more to the gospel, we become more spiritually mature and we can sin less. It is through uh, continual surrender to the gospel of Jesus that we are sanctified and made more spiritually mature. And see, when you feel like your faith is paralyzed, when coming to church just doesn't really help that a whole lot, it doesn't fix that problem, or when, when singing a song doesn't really help that, that feeling that your faith is just kind of plateaued or, or maybe even declining. Or when doing good things, when doing good works, it doesn't help either. Well, guess what? None of those things can fix our faith. Coming to church, singing songs, doing good works, those are all good things. But those are not what fixes our faith. Those are not where our faith comes from. It is only a reassessment of the gospel that can fix that. It is only when we remember that there is nothing that we can do to earn salvation that causes us to become more spiritually mature, that causes us to have a mindset of worship. There's nothing that we can do, there's nothing that we could have done to convince God to send His Son Jesus to die for our sins. But He did it anyway. See, when you, you feel like your faith is paralyzed, remember that God, through His love for you, took the penalty for your sins and reconciled the relationship that we broke reconciled our relationship with God that we broke. Jesus emptied himself and left heaven to come and live here among us, be tortured, to be ridiculed and crucified so that we could be freed from our slavery to sin. That's why 
we come to church. That's why we sing. That's why we do good works. It's in response to our faith. It's in response to the gospel. We don't do those things to earn the gospel. We don't do those things to earn our faith. We do them in response to the gospel. We do them because God loved us. We don't do them so that God will love us. So if your faith feels paralyzed, drink more deeply of the gospel. Pray that, you, pray that God will help you to surrender more to the gospel. And finally, we need to take another look at the, um, the, the result of these two miracles. And this is in um, verse 35 and verse 42. It says, So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. This is, they saw Enos, that he had been healed. And then in verse 42, this, this is um, Tabitha being raised from the dead. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So in both cases, when people saw the power of Jesus, they believed in the Lord. This brings us to our final, uh, what does all this mean, point. is that when Jesus is glorified, people come to salvation. When Jesus is glorified, people come to salvation. When we are obediently sharing the gospel and focusing on glorifying Jesus out of the overflow of our love for him, then we will see others coming to relationship with him. We can share the gospel. So you don't have to worry about getting it right. or getting, You don't have to worry about getting it wrong. If you are speaking out of a relationship that you have, if you are speaking out of the overflow of your relationship with Jesus, it's not about whether it's right or wrong. It's about what is Jesus doing in your life. It's about glorifying him. See, there are many, many different tools that can be used to share the gospel. And they're all good. Me personally, I prefer the three circles because it's simple. I can wrap my brain around it, and it's really easy. And there are lots of different ways to enter the conversation, lots of on-ramps into the conversation. But there are lots of different tools, and if you prefer a different one, that's fine. But when we look at these two stories, it wasn't a a gospel-sharing tool that they used. It was personal witness. It was what Jesus was doing in somebody's life. Personal testimony is powerful. See, in our postmodern society, where everybody, well, not everybody, but the postmodern mindset is that what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. And your truth doesn't have to be my truth. But so when we're sharing our testimony, this is our truth. And they don't have to believe that it is true in order to accept that it's true for us. And when it is true for us and they see the effects of it in our life, then it can convince them that this is not just true for me, but Jesus' love is a universal truth. It is true more than anything else that we can understand. Jesus' love is the ultimate universal truth. So I encourage you to know your testimony. Know what Jesus is doing in your life. Know your testimony and share it frequently. So we get to our application point of this message. Um, So what lessons can we learn from this passage to fulfill our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Under our knowing category, we have know that we are saved by grace. Know that there is nothing that you can do or nothing that you have done to earn salvation. There's nothing that you can do and nothing that you have done to earn God's love. That wouldn't be grace because grace means that you are given something that you didn't earn. You cannot earn grace. Salvation is a gift of grace. Just like Tabitha couldn't do anything to make herself alive again, we can't do anything to be saved. If you're waiting to clean yourself up before being saved, 
Stop waiting because you'll never be clean enough to be accepted by God. But Jesus has already paid that price. Jesus is offering you his righteousness. Just come and accept it. The second part of our application under being is to constantly be transformed uh, through the gospel. Be constantly in awe of Jesus and his life and how it affects your life. Be constantly in awe of his life, death, and resurrection. And constantly surrender to him in your life. Be remade through the gospel every day, becoming more like Jesus. Like in our Sunday school lesson, through surrendering to the gospel, we can become more sinless. I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but we can sin less through surrendering to the gospel. And through that, when we live a life that is holy, it glorifies God. When we live a life that reflects God's character in our community, it glorifies God. That brings us to our last point, the doing. Share the gospel. Like I said, I like to use the three circles presentation as a gospel sharing tool, but also use your testimony. Share your testimony. Um, know your personal testimony and share it. And like I said earlier, you don't have to worry about whether you're getting it right or getting it wrong, because if you are out sharing the gospel obediently, and if you are glorifying God, then he can, glor- he, can, he can take that and redeem that situation. Even if you totally mess up the story, God can take it and redeem it. It reminds me of a story. Um, D.L. Moody was a, a very influential Christian. And um, one lady one day criticized him. And she says, let me, let me make sure I get this right. Um, she says, well, I don't like the way that you try to get people saved. That's not an exact quote. Here comes the quote. And so he says, I agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. Tell me how you do it. And her response was, well, I don't. And so he said, well, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't. If you are out and you are sharing the gospel and you're sharing your testimony, that obedience, God will honor that obedience. If we're out and we're sharing our testimony, then we're, out, we're doing a lot better than we would be if we're not sharing our testimony. If we're out and we're sharing the gospel, no matter how bad we mess it up, it's better than not doing it at all. You don't have to worry about getting it right. It's just the obedience of doing it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word again. I thank you that you revealed yourself to us in your word. Lord, I thank you for the story of these two people that you healed. And Lord, I pray that that, um, we can take the lessons that we learned here and apply them to our life. Lord, I I pray that this morning that we can... um, that we can all surrender more of our lives to the gospel, that we can see where our life is not glorifying you, and we can surrender that to the gospel so that we can live a life that sins less, that we can live a life that glorifies you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we've come to our point of response. You can respond in your seat and pray with the Lord. You can come up to the front and pray at the cross, or you can come pray with me. But please do not ignore the calling of the Holy Spirit this morning.